all I want to do is generate as much demand for healthy food as possible because over time that should help bring down the cost of what's traditionally thought of as like much more expensive vegetables. So Hey, honey. So I'm very excited for our discussion with Ben about Ben's fast food, which is a healthy fast food restaurant that he launched. Wait, are you excited or I think it already happened, right? I'm excited for you guys to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> it was we amazing. Just it. We just did it. And I'm still excited about what we discussed. Yeah. I love, I, I just love this project. Like Ben is building uh, a healthy fast food which is exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's a fast food that is healthy. It's priced at the fast food level and it's just delicious. And it's honestly, finger licking good. You my, gotta try it. my mouth was watering throughout this recording. I was just dreaming about, um, Ben's food, Ben's yeah. fast food and, and kind of wishing it was in Austin already, or yeah. now we got to go to the Bay area or LA region to, to get our fix. But the things that we learned were a, what is fast food? What's the history of fast food in the U S how do we kind of get at this tension between price and quality of food? Ben walks us through how he thinks about sourcing healthy ingredients and putting together the operations of a restaurant. What are the challenges with that and much more? So tune in, enjoy, and let us know what you think. Share widely in have fun. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's a delicious pod. Hey Jen. <laughs> Good to see, you. to see you again. <laughs> um, I was, I was going to say you're a dad now in 2022. I am. Yeah. It's uh good times in 2022. Uh, a little oh. less sleep, but generally good times. Yeah. So much going on. I was just listening to something about how there's this recent study from university of Southern California about how dad's brains change upon when you have a baby uh mm. and it's something yeah i think it's something about like your empathy etc and it's for the better bottom line it's for the better um uh, <laughs> and it's not it's not makes sense mom. <laughs> yeah i i would hope that it's for the better uh <laughs> how yeah. how is clive what's he teaching you He's good. He's, uh, yeah, he's just a little nugget. Took him to daycare this morning. We went Aww. on our, uh, kind of morning walk down to daycare and then back up a giant hill, um, to come back home. Uh, he's good. He's definitely, uh, extracting the selfishness out of me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, it, I, and that's probably a more like yeah. aggressive term than it actually is, but I don't know. Sometimes it is kind of appropriate. Um, yeah, he's, uh, like this morning, um, yeah, he woke up at, I don't know, five 30 or so and had to get him a bottle. And so I'm like, okay, all right, I'm just not going to you know sleep in this morning. That's okay. Um, so I've been learning to just kind of roll with just the unexpected and make plans that are loose, uh, <laughs> and be flexible. So I'd like to think that I was already pretty good at that, but I'm getting better. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's honestly, it's like a lot of fun. Every day is a little bit different and it's nice to have a little nugget at home, um, That's for so you know, sweet. when he is at home. How old yeah. is he now? Is like six months? Uh, he's More. eight months. Yeah. A little oh my goodness. Eight months. 
Yeah. I bet you're seeing him just grow more and more with, with each week, probably. Yeah, totally. Yeah. He's the first few months were big milestones. Like it, every week felt like it was something totally different. Now the milestones are a little bit more spread out, but his latest thing is he's able to sit unaccompanied by dad or mom. Um, so yeah, it's like kind of nice. I can just kind of put him down in his little playpen area and have him sit and he's not going to fall over and bonk his head on something. So yeah. Yeah. And I bet you just get so much more time because you don't have to be constantly watching him anymore. Yeah. Yeah, totally. We just got this like playpen thing from Amazon's like Mm -hmm. bucks or something. And it's like the best. We can just let him play with his toys and leave him be. And we, we have a little beagle named Millie who we will put in there sometimes. And he's like secret (laughs) weapon to help him to calm down. And he just, every time he just starts giggling like crazy. It's, it's the best. It's so cute. Oh, I feel like my favorite are dogs or pets with their baby brothers or sisters. And you can just see how they, they know that this is a new member of the family and they're so protective of them. So that's lovely. It sounds like they're best of friends. Yeah, they are. It's, it's pretty <laughs> awesome. Um, Millie loves licking Clive in the face in particular. <laughs> Clive loves, loves licking Millie back. And, yes, basically. <laughs> oh, that's the sweetest. So when I was a baby, actually, we had a, a dog who, um, Kojo, who sadly passed away too soon. Uh, but he was like my protector and he would just stand guard. My dad had this a clinic and so like they would put me sit me down and he would just sit next to me and he would just bark at everyone who would pass and not let anyone but my parents hold me uh to the point where like my uncle got so upset he's like what what the heck what is this dog doing this is my niece i need to be able to to hold her (laughs) what is going on (laughs) that's Uh, awesome yeah, it's. I think there's like some dogs that are like just protective over their people, and then there's some dogs that are just like, uh, I like if you yeah. have food, then I'm your best friend. <laughs> How is what? What is your Millie like? is the latter, definitely Aww. the latter. Yeah, if you've got food, it doesn't matter. Like, if she's never met you, if she hates you, it's like you're immediately your best friend. Well, she knows what's up. I, I can, I feel like food, that's a good way to be. Speaking of food, we're here to chat about food today. I'm so glad to have you. Uh, we're here to talk about all things healthy eating. I'm super excited about what you're building with Ben's Fast Food, but maybe we start with just defining what fast food is. Yeah. Uh, so everyone will probably have a slightly different definition, but I think of it as food that is I think of fast food as kind of traditional fast food. So like your McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, Arby's, et cetera, et cetera. And to me, it's generally food that is cheap, convenient, and fast. So like it makes sense. There's, it could be a lot of different things. That's, you know, in general, fast food is in the name. So it should be food and should be fast. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But generally it's, I, I think of it as food that's also really affordable. No, that so, totally, yeah. totally makes sense. And then what's the arc of like the history of fast food in the U.S. and why it's become so prevalent? Yeah, so there's um, it, fast food is has become a, like, I mean, for me and for 
for you and for probably a lot of our friends and family, like if kind of seems like fast food has been around for, you know, for forever because it's, it was there when we were kids, but yeah, um, there's, there's a few different like kind of mega trends that, um, brought around the rise of fast food and the, the first kind of big wave that like kind of began the fast food, um, trend is in roughly the 1920s. It, like it, everyone's got kind of a slightly, a lot of like historians have a slightly different yeah. way of telling the story and like what the origins are. But generally, like I think of White Castle as the first major yeah. fast food chain, which started in 1920, in like the 1920s. And White Castle basically adopted a lot of the like production line, assembly line, um, kind mm-hmm. of production methods that was popularized in like the Ford assembly line for cars and just applied that to food. And so White Castle started that. That was like their kind of big innovation and they grew using that. Um, but then fast food really took off when um, the highway system began to be built out more uh, more widely in the U.S. Oh, wow. So, yeah, there was a lot more um, uh, like suburbanization of the U.S. And along with that came more cars, came more just on-the-go lifestyles. And so fast right. food really came up in that mega trend to um, cater to people who are living more on-the-go lifestyles. So you've got the production line, you've got then the, the highways. And then I think to me, the, like the third big mega trend that kind of brought about the popularization of fast food in particular was um, a lot more women entering the workforce. So there were fewer women who were at home um, making food, you know, like they had been in the past. And so families wanted more convenient food options and fast food was you know there on the go it was cheap because of the assembly lines and then it fit this like real need for families to get food so like from the 1950s to like around the 2000s women doubled in the workforce which is awesome that also means though that there's if you're you know working it's harder to make food at home so you just need more um yeah more convenient options. Right. Um, there's that also plays out like in really big trends and packaged foods too, but in, on a restaurant level, fast food was like a really nice solution to kind of that problem. So, um, it, yeah, so that's to me kind of why fast food like really came up and then from a food level, I mean, it's cheap. It's generally fairly tasty. I mean, yeah, it's convenient. Have. Yeah, it's convenient. So it really does like it fits a need for people to eat food um, when it can be just really time consuming um, to make food at home or people just don't want to do it or it's tough to make the, you know, the right. It's if you don't grow up in a culture of like cooking at home, it, it can be tough to and a little intimidating to learn how to cook at home. So Totally. Um, yeah. And to your point of women entering the workforce had traditionally potentially held these roles more, less time for everyone. We're having more tech, which is accelerating the pace at which we're doing everything. We're on computers, we have washing machines, but that also means we work more and we have less time for other things. And this is this just makes it more convenient, more affordable. At what point did fast food be, start to become unhealthy? 
or do you even think about it as unhealthy in yeah, general? I, I mean, I, I do generally think of it as unhealthy. Generally speaking, you can, I'd say probably at most fast food chains now, you could probably get a salad. Things. Yeah, you can get a salad. It's probably a sad salad. Uh, so you can, like, there's ways to figure out how to eat healthy at fast food, but, you know, that's not their primary, uh, you know, that's not their top selling items. Um, exactly. Yeah. So it, it's a, I don't know. I think fast food is always, it, I think it, the sort of fatal flaw of fast food was that it started with food that was in and of itself, like not the healthiest. So like, like French fries in general, it's going to be hard to make that. It, it didn't really go from like more healthy to less healthy. It's just kind of always been not the best. And in general, there's more like a lot of the fast food chains, um, have moved towards centralized production as they've scaled. And what that means is if you're cent producing food centrally, you have to figure out some way to preserve the food so that it can make its way to each of the individual locations and be served, um, to customers. Like you can't, it, it's really tough to make whole fresh food that's perishable lasts for the weeks necessary to deliver that, like to centrally produce that and then deliver it to customers. So I, I kind of think of like one of the big counterbalancing forces for us to be like using as much fresh food and whole food as possible to generally like a more centralized, more highly processed food approach that a lot of the big chains use. So that's been more. That's something that has, I think, changed over time uh, from like, that's just a, a factor of scale and um, a lot of the big chains centrally producing food. So like if you go to like a Chick-fil-A, for example, all of their sauces are centrally produced. Like you can see on the label that it's centrally produced. There's so many ingredients in there. Um, a lot of those ingredients are preservatives to preserve that sauce from wherever it was produced in the U.S. or abroad um, and then sent to the, the location. So, and that's just kind of generally true for a lot of, a lot of fast food is like the sauces in particular, kind of like the main culprit, but then there's other ingredients that are like added into some, some of the food that helps to preserve it, helps keep, you know, some of the shelf life a little longer. Um, yeah. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And we'll come back to Ben's fast food sauces, which are incredibly delicious in a moment. <laughs> but coming back to, I think, a big thing that we deal with, with fast food is kind of resolving the tension between the quality of the food and then the price. The price is amazing. And then you also can't beat the convenience of, you mentioned on the go, on your way to work or after work, getting lunch or breakfast or dinner or whatnot. And you pointed out that fast food has always kind of been this way, right? With White Castle, we started out with this unhealthier food, with McDonald's, with In-N-Out. These were burgers, fries, and milkshakes. Is there a way to resolve this tension between quality and price and convenience? Or is that kind of a lost cause in your mind? I think there is. It's um, There's like some short-term kind of like tricky things you can do to resolve some of that tension. 
And then long-term, there's some things that like on a macro scale can happen to resolve some of that tension. So on the short term, you can get really high quality food that's affordable if you, um, the way that I think about it is like in, at least in our context at Ben's Fast Food, if you have a simple menu, you can get like sort of micro scale within a restaurant. So what I mean by that is like you can, if you're making one thing, like one dish, um, and you're setting up your entire operation to produce that one single dish, you can make that very quick and you can make that whole process like pretty darn efficient. So there's like some little micro scale things there, just that like are totally mm -hmm. revolving around simplicity of the menu that um, can help resolve some of that tension. So I generally think of like, the simpler the menu at generally at a, at a restaurant, it probably means that that food is going to be either a little bit more affordable or just in general, a little bit higher quality or maybe both. Um, and that's a, you know, there's real ways that that improves like on, you know, behind the scenes in the back of house where the food is being produced. Like if you're, if you can kind of set up the production of that, um, right of that bowl or of that dish in, in essentially like an assembly line method. That's really hard to do. If you've got like 20 different items on the menu, you have to kind of yeah. produce each item. So that's like the short term, like one of the biggest ways short on a kind of short term level that you can resolve some of that tension long-term though. I, I mean, I think of like the work I'm doing as like a really long-term yeah. thing. And I, like there's some of the cheapest vegetables or like kind of plants that are produced in the U S are potatoes, tomatoes, and lettuce. There's, if you just like think about that in a fast food setting, like that makes a ton of sense because potatoes are used for French fries, tomatoes and lettuce are used in. Bunkers. Yeah. So there's a reason those are the top produced, like, um, you know, agricultural products in the U S and it's because they're, they're used so heavily in this food that's being produced at such mass quantities for fast food restaurants. So the way that I kind of think about this is like, I would like Ben's fast food to be at least part of like the demand generation for like healthier products. So like all kinds of vegetables, um, certain kinds of fruits and with that comes the scale that you can use to then produce those items at lower cost. So it's generally like on a super macro economic lens, I'm like, all I want to do is generate as much demand for healthy food as possible, because over time that should help bring down the cost of what's traditionally thought of as like much more expensive vegetables. So, um, there is, so from a price and quality trade-off lens, like in the short term, yeah, there are some uh, price quality trade-offs, but I'm hoping that in the long term, if we can generate enough demand for these products that are generally thought of as more expensive, we can bring down the cost of those items. So there's no reason that um, chicken or beef or pork, which are, which take roughly 10 times the resources to produce versus, you know, an equivalent weight of 
like lettuce or broccoli or cauliflower or carrots. There's no reason that like the the meat should be as expensive as the vegetables. Like they should be like just from a resources lens, ten times more expensive. Um, that's not the case right now. So, and it, it's just because of I think because of the uh, the demand imbalances. So that's where like from a long, long term blend, like that's where I'm trying to like focus our time and energy is building demand for products that I think people can and should, and hopefully want to eat more of. Absolutely. And that's so powerful. It's reminding me of the impact we can have also in energy and the types of energy that we use when it comes to climate change. What are the the types of vegetables, et cetera, that are more expensive? Sounds like you're mentioning cauliflower, carrots, Sounds like anything that's a little healthier and not used in the current burgers and fries realm. Yeah. Yeah. So from, I know in particular, all of the food that we're using, generally the, the food that is most expensive are the things that perish, like the fastest. Mm, so okay. cu- cucumbers are pretty expensive, like in our menu, cucumbers, um, the okay. leafy greens. So like this spring mix that we use, um, Cauliflower and broccoli are a little less expensive, but they fluctuate more with uh, seasonality. We're lucky in California that broccoli, cauliflower, and carrots are grown all year round. Like we can find places in California that are have the have great climate and great soil to be able to produce that year round. But it's and so, but we still have fluctuations. Um, because there's certain seasons where certain areas can grow that more. Um, mm-hmm. and some are less, you have to outsource a little bit outside of California, kind of in the low seasons. Um, yeah. so yeah, the, got it. Generally the things that perish faster are the more expensive. Amazing. So my, my key takeaway here, Ben, is we all need to go to Ben's fast food and eat a lot of fast food and just eat healthier. And that's how we consolidate and make like the healthier foods cheaper and fast food more healthy for us. So great. Problem solved. Uh, next. <laughs> should we, should we tackle the Middle East next <laughs> or the war in Ukraine? Go. Let's do it. <laughs> um, amazing. Okay. So you already started to tell us a little bit about your mission at Ben's Fast Food and BFF, which I love calling it BFF. Can you just expand on why you got interested in this and what exactly you're looking to build when you think about the short and longer term horizons? Yeah. So I got into Ben's Fast Food or the idea for Ben's Fast Food really came about from um, visiting back home in Bakersfield. Mm -hmm. So I'm from a town called Bakersfield, which is in Central California. Yeah. Central California is home to some of the most productive agricultural lands in the world. And we have in my hometown, like our our county is produces, I think it's like the either the first or the second um, most crops in America. Um, so it's like per like acre of land. So wow. it's just extremely, extremely productive, very, like, it's a very blue collar agriculture, um, uh, city. And uh, I came back, I was in the middle of business school, kind of figuring out what I wanted to do with my life and, uh, came back home, wanted to eat a cheap, healthy meal and couldn't find any in the city. And like, I grew up there. So, mm. uh, you know, there's just like, okay, yeah, like there's nothing really here, but I think because I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, 
I had a lens on of like finding problems, I guess. And right. this just, there was a little bit of a light bulb moment of like, whoa, why, why do we in the, like one of the most productive agricultural counties in America not have a healthy, affordable restaurant? Like why that seems crazy to me that that isn't true. And right. so I, and I'd done a little bit of work in restaurants before, uh, before grad school. And so had a little bit of background in like restaurants and stuff. So I started just doing a little bit of research on what, you know, why is that what's going on started having conversations. And then a lot of this just ultimately snowballed into like what is now BFF, but the big initial problem is still the problem that we are trying to solve, which is there's very, very, very few healthy, affordable restaurants, period. It, it kind of, then that's true generally everywhere in the US. There's a few more concepts that are coming up, but generally that's still true. So that's the problem that we're trying to solve. And that's kind of why we exist. We want to make healthy food as delicious and affordable as possible. So, uh, amen. Yeah, that's what we're, that's what we're working on solving. Machin, did you have something to say? I just wanted to say, this is so incredible because this food is freaking delicious. Every time we visit San Francisco Bay Area, like we order it several times. It's almost like we only eat this. Uh, we only eat Ben's fast food. And also, like, I really love this notion of like the healthy food can be um, and should be affordable and should be, you know, easy to get and like should be a very available option because I, I feel like the industry took this weird turn where like, you know, all the sweet greens of the world and all these like healthy options are there, like super hipster, super fancy. And you like, you feel like you need to sell your, your kidney to be, to afford to, uh, to, you know, dine in these, in these places. And it's like, it's right. Like, I feel like if you, I, I don't know if you know any data, but like, if you, if you ask, uh, you know, 10 people in the street, like, do you, do you think healthy food is, you know, less expensive or more expensive? I feel like 10 out of 10 will say more expensive because that's how, how the market works right now. Like it feels like it's premium and you need to, you need to pay top dollar to get the extra food. And that's why I like, I really love this idea of I can order something and it's healthy and it's well-priced and it's delicious. Like what a, like so simple yet. So, uh, so rare. So thank you for doing this. Thank you. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I, it is, it's tempting to raise prices. It's also really tempting to like, to come back to the quality cost trade-off. It's really tempting to see like, oh man, we could move all of our menu to being totally organic. We could move it all to being totally locally sourced and supporting small farmers. All of those things are great and there's room for that. And there's definitely people who are willing to pay for that. But my approach is I want to keep Ben's fast food laser focused on keeping healthy food as affordable and delicious as possible. So there are some trade-offs we have to make, like we're not fully organic. We're not fully locally sourced with, you know, small production farming and things like that. But, you know, we do have some quality measures that we're trying to, you know, be really firm about like we will not have anything in our restaurant that has any like additives or preservatives generally our food is like very clean label um where it's just whole food that's 
just simply prepared. And so, yeah, there's uh, like, I've kind of been able to see this over time with like the sweet greens or a lot of the big salad places. Like uh, it's like super nice to be able to, you know, add in organic ingredients and all kinds of locally sourced stuff and like the most premium meats. And that is, there's room for it and people are willing to pay for it. And as they've found out, like are willing to pay quite a lot for it. So it's a good business model, but it's not the focus of our, our mission. So, um, we get BFF multiple times when we're in the Bay, it's almost like we're, we run, we become BFF and we notice the prices are so it's like less than, is it, I think it's less than $10 last time we were there for a bowl. Yep. Uh, which feels like something that's affordable for most people to be able to have a very filling meal that's delicious and, and healthy for you. I wanted to touch on your ingredients and your sourcing and your food prep and how you think about that and then how you think consumers should think about that. How can we look at restaurants, for instance, and say, okay, this is healthy versus not? What should we be looking at? I see. We um, generally are using uh, clean label ingredients. So what that means is like our, the vast majority of our menu is just vegetables and whole foods. So we use like whole grains, we use whole vegetables that we chop in house for the most part. We're, um, all of our sauces we make from scratch in house. Uh, we have, yeah, a very plant centric menu. So our entire menu is vegan except for the meat that we add to some of our bowls. Mm-hmm. Um, so our approach is to keep the ingredients as minimally processed as possible and to produce like where we can't find minimally processed, clean things to either do it ourselves or pay a little bit more for something organic. So for example, we, um, we use for our, uh, like vegan protein, we'll use chickpeas and potatoes for chickpeas. Like we tried to do, try to make them in-house ourselves from scratch, but it's pretty time intensive cooking legumes and beans generally take quite a long time. You have to soak them and cook them. And it's, yeah, it's more of a process than we have space for. So we're buying canned chickpeas. Well, it's pretty tough to find canned chickpeas outside of like a whole foods or, Mm -hmm. uh, Trader Joe's or something. That's I was going to say TJ's has them. <laughs> so you can find canned chickpeas everywhere, but it's hard to find yeah. canned chickpeas without a bunch of uh, stuff in them. in them. Yeah. So we, and that's even, that's true generally for consumers, but it's, it's even more so the case with restaurants buying on a wholesale level. So mm. it's really, really tough to find canned chickpeas without all the junk in it. So we just buy organic canned chickpeas and that's just got salt and organic chickpeas in it. And we had okay. to do that. We had to make that trade-off because we couldn't find anything else. Right. Um, that was just super clean label and abided by our general kind of food principles. So in general What is what is the junk in them from a consumer perspective? What should I be looking for that's not very healthy preservatives? I, yeah, in general, like if you don't know how to pronounce it, I think that's a pretty <laughs> good rule of thumb for it's probably not great. Um, okay. Everything is like FDA regulated. So it's like it is edible. Like it's not going to probably cause you active harm immediately. Probably uh, not. 
<laughs> hopefully. Hopefully. Um, yeah. But yeah, there is. This kind of touches on actually like a pretty difficult thing with food, which is um, what is unhealthy? Like, mm. what is it what is healthy? And that's a pretty simple question that should you know, like there's general guidelines and stuff, but the nutrition science, like nutrition science as a field is relatively new. And it's also really, really tough. It's maybe one of the most complex scientific fields out there that I think pe people probably don't fully appreciate the complexity of. Just as a quick example, like if you're running a science experiment, just, you know, in like fifth grade, what do you do? You, you, you know, you've got a hypothesis, you go through, you know, the scientific method, you've got um, you know, you run you got your experiment, control. You, you've got your variables, you, you run an experiment, you see what happened, right? So there's only so many, you're supposed to control what variables mm -hmm. are being changed, do an experiment and then see what happened and draw conclusions based on what changed with those variables. Well, that's easy to do in a lab setting for a lot of different things, but with nutrition science, your body is the kind of experiment lab and there are innumerable variables that are really, really tough to isolate any single impact and then draw conclusions on the basis of for nutrition. So it's super, super tough to like be really methodically conclusive about this is healthy or this is not. There's ways around that, that I think the field is getting better at, but it's just really tough to know. So yeah, there's things that are approved by the FDA um, generally, but I like, I think my approach as a, like, as an individual consumer and also as a restaurant owner is like, I like Michael Pollan's approach, which yeah. is eat food, mostly plants, not too much. So I think it's kind of yeah. general, generally good guidelines, like hey, eat, eat food, meaning eat like stuff that your grandma would recognize <laughs> as food. <Yeah. laughs> uh, that's generally like, you know, not super, super processed and like the outside of, uh, the kind of the outside walls of a grocery store, um, yeah. mostly plants like, Hey, it's generally agreed upon that vegetables are good for you. So probably, you know, eat more of those and not too much like, yeah, you know, you can't just eat, 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 eat all the time. And, you know, yeah. pretend like that's going to be, you know, okay. Totally. Like you, you do have to moderate a little bit. So. I was laughing because it's like, oh shoot! So I should stop eating boxes of mochi, of green tea mochi. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably too much. It's too much. Well, it's, I should it's probably fun. cut that back. <laughs> well, it's funny because, like, I think a lot of people, like, knowing that I'm starting a healthy fast food chain, would think, like, "Oh, you eat so healthy." I'm like, actually, no. Like, this is something that like I want for myself, like this is a problem for me that I'm trying to yeah. like, solve for myself. <laughs> like I am totally tempted to crush a whole pint of ice cream <laughs> and I do on occasion. And yeah. I know that's not good and for you me. know what? Good job. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was one day. The next day you can try and be better. Yeah. More Gosh, darn it. <laughs> Oh man, totally. Uh, no, that was really helpful. So it sounds like you try for as little processed as possible whole foods where you can make it yourself. Otherwise you try for organic or wherever you can source as whole food as possible. Yeah, that's right. Amazing. 
Okay. One thing I just truly adore about your story, Ben, is your obsession with experimentation and learning from this. So an example of the, and we just kind of heard it a little bit as you were describing experimenting with nutrition and learning about nutrition. Uh, but an example of this was at, we met at business school and you held all these tastings during grad school, as well as after grad school, where you'd invite your friends and you'd have us come and taste your dishes. You were obsessive about every ingredient that you place in them. We had scorecards where we rate things uh, and you really embodied this culture of feedback. You really took what you were scoring and kind of used that to improve each dish. So no wonder it's so delicious, the meals that you produce for us. And I'm so curious, where did this obsession come from? Because for most people, we stop at maybe good enough and you're going way past that to incredible. So where do you get this motivation to get past good enough? Yeah, I um, I think actually in an odd way, I benefited from not coming from a culinary background. So mm. I did not, I wasn't like a trained chef. I hadn't gone through the kind of chefing circuit or gone to culinary school before starting Ben's fast food. I had done work with big restaurant chains previously, yeah. but hadn't spent that much time in a kitchen actually making food myself. And I would, I think my wife would say like, I was a very average cook <laughs> before <laughs> starting all of this. <laughs> I think I started all of this not trusting at all my palate and my skill in the kitchen. So I use my own kind of superpower, which was I have a lot of friends that are willing to give feedback and be mm -hmm. as honest as possible in that feedback. So I think it was really, really useful for me to just start with, um, hey, I'm going to make some terrible food and I know it's going to be terrible. <laughs> I know it's not like great, but just give me feedback. Like, Tell me what you did like about it. Tell me what you didn't like about it. What would you improve on it? And using that process, like I didn't, it was honestly like, like I didn't know what was supposed to be good enough. Like if I can make food that 80% of people rate as a five out of five, is that good enough? Or should I be, or is that like a recipe for disaster for, you know, actual real life restaurants like i truly had i did not know and i didn't trust my own skill or intuition really so i was like yeah, i'm gonna get i'm gonna keep moving this thing until i can get as close to 100 percent as possible um we didn't get to like newsflash like we didn't get to 100 <laughs> we ever will but um, yeah that the, the process of like constant iteration constant feedback collection and that whole loop of getting feedback working on the product, getting feedback, working on the product was super, super useful for us to just apply honestly to the whole business. And I think, yeah, my motivation is like, I still don't totally like this is my first time starting a company. It's my first time starting a restaurant. I don't really like I'm, I'm building the airplane as it's flying. Like, I, yeah, just know, hard. Yeah. So I generally am like, I, I don't know what is good enough. I don't know when to stop. Like, I want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's very, it's very kind of you to say that, like, I've got such motivation. I think it's more, I, I think the motivation, I guess, if you want to call it that, is mostly like, 
I don't know, I think maybe some bit of like insecurity about how good the food is. And I, I still think that like, we have a lot of room to improve. Um, so I, I'm actually pretty glad that I didn't come from like a chefing Michelin star background where I'm like, everyone would trust me to, you know, make food that's really good. Instead, like I trust what I hear from people. So if I'm hearing good things and like, okay, that's probably good. But if I'm hearing bad things, it still affects me. And I'm like, uh, like, I think we can still change up our process or yeah. tweak our recipes slightly. Like our Wagyu is like a little oversalted. Uh, you know, we got that feedback a few times over the last few months. So we just recently changed our salting method for Wagyu to be a lot more precise and like we're, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And I will continue to do that and continue to use that process. I think until I'm done yeah. with the company, which who knows when that'll be. So maybe when I'm dead, uh, <laughs> um, that's, yeah. that to me feels like your superpower, Ben, this obsession with your product, with the food you're making, even what you're describing about a little bit of insecurity about is the food good enough? Because it means you're listening extra hard to your customers and it sounds like you're improving week to week and we're here for it. Definitely again, extremely delicious. I also don't think there is ever a perfect, a hundred percent. It's impossible to please everyone, but you are doing a pretty darn good job at that. So it's so, so exciting. Of course. Uh, the other part that I wanted to touch on, on with your story is you alluded to again that you consulted for restaurants before grad school. And then I really love this one. After grad school, you took a job with Chipotle to learn about the operations of a fast food restaurant because it's no joke. You mentioned a lot of this industry came up of the operations from Ford, which is fascinating. So what are some of the things that you learned that influenced how Ben's fast food runs today. Yeah. So yeah, uh, probably brought down the average salary of yeah. So I was, I um, worked in a Chipotle in the financial district in San Francisco and um, yeah, I actually applied to a bunch of other fast food restaurants, but nobody would even reject it. Yeah. I, I rejected so many times. Like no experience. What is this? Yeah. Yeah. So um <laughs> Yeah, I ended up working in uh, in the position called Tortilla One at, at Chipotle, which is the first person that you would like be greeted by at a Chipotle. I'm like, hey, welcome to Chipotle. What can I get started for you? And like, I bought a bowl or burrito or tacos. Um, I, so I was mostly on the line there and then got a little bit of like, a, you know, kind of peek behind the scenes to see how they produce all the food. And honestly, it was like, okay, how do you run a restaurant? Like, what kind of processes and procedures do you need to have like okay you got to like take temperatures like and do it this you know every four hours you've got to you know have um have procedures in place for how to you know obviously how to produce and prep every single ingredient like okay you've got to have that all written down and like clear instructions for everyone to follow so everyone's trained on the same process yeah it's complex right it's more complex than one would think yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot that goes into starting a restaurant. Once you get the first one or two restaurants open, then it's like okay, everything else after that is like you can. It's a lot easier, but getting that first one up and running is a lot. So yeah, there. Were, I mean, a few little like interesting nuggets that I took away from there, like burritos just take longer to produce than bowls. So that's why we started focusing on bowls initially. Mm-hmm. Like 
That's great. I like bulls better anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Eight seconds to eat up a burrito. Well, that doesn't sound like a lot, but when when you've got a line of 30 people outside the door and you're trying to produce things as fast as possible, that is a bottleneck. And you Mm -hmm. want to remove as many bottlenecks as possible. Taking a bull takes, in comparison, pulling out a bull takes one second. So you can get through like way more bulls than you can burritos. Um, the, uh, another quick nugget was like at Chipotle and I think they're still kind of dealing with this a, a bit is as soon as you, like, as soon as customers have a particular experience with your food, they expect the same thing, which is like a basic insight. Right. But what that means for Chipotle is if you give someone a little extra meat or a little extra guac mm-hmm. one time, they will expect that the next time they, especially if they're a first time customer, they'll expect that, right. Oh, this is just the normal portion. So I've tried to be as careful as possible about making our portion sizes as consistent as possible, um, to not like give people a ton just cause we're feeling generous, right. all, you know, all of a sudden, and then they have a, they're like, Hey, it's my birthday. Huh? more <laughs> like kid, but there is a there is actually like a real temptation to be generous like and, and yeah I bet. Like for all of our managers for all of our employees for me when i'm in the kitchen like the temptation is mm. like, oh, shoot it's friday here's a fruit pudding just go <laughs> that is nice and we do still do that from time to time but the it's it's a it's a bit it can be a, a bit of a trap because if you do that once, especially for a new customer, that anchors their expectations on like, oh, that's what I need. That's what I should be expecting. Um, yeah. For future, for future orders. So we've tried to be just as consistent and careful about how we compose our bowls as possible. Yeah. No. Totally. Well, for whatever it's worth, I totally hear this because I think it was last week at my local healthy food chain. I'm waiting for Ben's fast food to come to Austin. We're waiting impatiently. But we were at this other spot and I got my favorite bowl and the portion was much smaller than normal. And I remember just thinking to myself, oh, I got, I got unlucky today. This person wasn't going to give me as much. And I, I remember I wasn't, I wasn't satiated afterward. And so I needed something else. So I definitely remember that and thought twice about going the next time, but I was like, no, come on. This is my favorite spot. They're great. And the next time was fine. But I can imagine for someone that's not as consistent with that spot as I am, that that could have negative implications for sure. Yeah, totally. So then what are some of the hard, hardest things about starting a restaurant chain? Uh, yeah. (laughs) How how long, how long should we have? (laughs) Maybe let's do one to three things. How's that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, well, like I had mentioned earlier, getting the first location up and right. running, and then even the second location is a lot of work. Like there's a massive haul to get that business to stand up on its own two feet and to just run the, just getting the first one up and running and then getting that to profitability mm-hmm. and getting the food to come out consistently. And that a high quality is a lot. 
Um, it sounds like the training of the people, the standardization of mm-hmm. the processes, maybe making the people and all your inputs work cost-wise with how much you're making to get to profitability. Yep. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of just like figuring out like, what is the basic economics of our restaurant in the first one, maybe the first two locations. Um, now I'd say as we're scaling, definitely the, I mean, there's a lot of operations very, I mean, restaurants are basically all operations. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of like, I'd say like two big challenges for us are one is just standardizing everything just making sure that we are as consistent as possible. We're making like really, we've, we've done a really good job so far. And I think our, are continuing to make really good progress on that, uh, which has been awesome, but yeah, it's still like, okay, how do we, uh, yeah. How do we put in place processes that are consistent and are also that are really efficient where they need to be and maybe need to be flexible for adding in new products over time. So that's like one big challenge. And then the second, I'd say probably the biggest challenge is uh, training people and scaling people. So as you know, we're getting, we're kind of at an inflection point now, I've got seven locations where we are beginning, like I, I have been managing all of the managers myself with our director of operations. We're getting to a point now where that's going like that's just not going to work. We can't scale ourselves that that much. So we're going to have to start building in new more layers, people, more layers, probably to figure out how to scale. Um, so yeah, that's a challenge. And you know, people in restaurants are coming from all kinds of different backgrounds, which I love. And yeah, it can also be challenging too. So there's definitely a there's a coaching and people management aspect of restaurants. That's probably like the, the most core part of restaurants, at least now before, I don't know, restaurants get like automated out or something that are, yeah. um, that's just yeah challenging. And we're, I'm trying to figure out how do we, how do we build in uh, a culture of coaching into our, um, organization for each of our managers to coach our employees, employees. And be able for hopefully our employees to be able to grow up with the company. That's kind of my goal. So, um, wow, that's awesome. I love to hear that. Also, it sounds like with the challenge comes opportunity for you and new adventures that keep it interesting for you, which I just knowing you, I know that that's what keeps you going too. It keeps it interesting. It'll get boring if it's just, I'll figure it out. And and now I'm twiddling my thumbs, like what's next. So hopefully keeps you on your toes, keeps the brain working. Definitely. As soon as I do something like four or five times, I'm like, I, the temptation for me is like, all right, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Move <laughs> or on. let's something. do something yeah. else. <laughs> Amazing. Are you spending much time in the restaurant today? Sounds like you definitely are very close to your customers, but how are you balancing that with management? Yeah, I haven't been spending as much time in the restaurants, probably as I would want to ideally, but I... There's a couple components to this. One is I just had a baby uh, eight months ago. Yeah, so I was uh, forcibly pulled away from the restaurants and tried to just be yeah. at home for as much Very as, fair. as possible. But uh, in general, I've been trying to not be in the restaurants. Actually, like mm-hmm. we've got pretty good systems in place to see what's going on in the kitchen from a lot of different angles, and we have weekly check-in calls with our managers. So. I'm able to manage remotely for the most part. And we're at a scale now where I just 
can't and I don't think shouldn't yeah. be in yeah, restaurants totally. quite as much now. So I, I still will come in uh, as you know as often as I need to to if I need to fix something, if I need to meet with somebody, if I need to see something, yeah. if I'm experimenting with something, like I, I'll, I'll go in. So I don't know, recently I've been probably going in like once or twice a month. Um, but I've been Got trying it. to, uh, trying to manage as much as possible outside of the kitchen so that we can work on scaling and growing. Um, yeah. Sounds fair. Sounds like what you need to be doing. I'm sh I imagine that can be tough. You may kind of have this wanting to go be there more, but feels like your time is more valuable and better spent managing others and relying on the layers that you've built in. So good to hear that. What are some of the crazy stories that you've received customer fulfillment wise, Ben? Anything good you can share with us? Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's, um, there's actually been like, a, I've been, I think coming back to like my insecurity about the food, I think I have been pleasantly surprised at how many people have just written in and been just like really appreciative for it's good food that's really <laughs> healthy and like as is as reasonably priced as it is in San Francisco and in like all of our locations, honestly. So it's been, I've been really grateful to get those messages and like, I read all of them. I respond to all of our Yelp and Google reviews and then mm. get reviews on all the various, you know, delivery platforms as well. And plus catering. So, um, yeah, we had one person recently writing in. Um, when we, so when we first started, uh, when I first started in the kitchen at Ben's fast food, it was just me and our director of operations or now director of operations, Isaac. And so when we were, um, when we were first making all the orders, this was in a cloud kitchen. So there was not a brick and mortar storefront. We couldn't interact with customers. This is at the height of the pandemic in 2020. We had no way of interacting with our customers. So I, I was like. I don't know how to just say thank you to people for ordering from us. Cause I was like, man, this is a small miracle. Every time someone's placed, yeah. like, wow, I created this thing from scratch. Someone's paying money to order the food that I made. Like that's kind of incredible. So what I did was I would just write like a really simple, just thank you, Jen on the box mm -hmm. that we would send our food out in. And hey, we got those. Yeah. You, you, you did do that for us several so, times. Yeah. So we, as, uh, um, I, I really like that and customers, I think generally really like yeah. that. So we applied that to all of our locations. So every, every order that comes out should have, doesn't happen all the time now, but like, we're trying, like it should happen every time that you get a, mm -hmm. a handwritten thank you on your, on your bowl. So yeah. there was this woman who wrote in, um, like a month ago or so who was basically saying like, I was suffering from a chronic illness. I couldn't really cook for myself uh, for a while. I really appreciated your meals. And I was also at that, like during the pandemic, I was like fairly depressed and just felt like my mental health was like super suffering. And every time I'd order from you guys, seeing that someone wrote a handwritten thank you on with my name on it, um, just like totally brightened my day. And I was like, man, this, like really helped me at a, at a really hard time in my life. And like, she, so she wrote all this stuff and I sent it to our managers and one of our managers like literally cried. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's really it's touching. Like, yeah. So it's like, yeah, this is really cool. It's definitely like, it, there's a need 
out there for something like this and whether it's us or someone else that's doing this, like it probably is going to take us and a bunch of other like restaurant concepts to like really fill this gap. But it's cool. It was cool to get like that kind of affirmation from, from customers and just gratitude, honestly, too. So, um, we've we've served some, uh, like warriors and like professional athletes. We've some NHL teams, catered for, uh, which is kind of cool. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm waiting for them to sign the contract and have you be the official uh, food supple feeder. What, what would the word be? <laughs> Chef, caterer. I like supple feeder. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man. Supplier and no. feeder all at once. Right. That's, that's exciting, Ben, but also to this point of during COVID, right? We were all so lonely, like the loneliest we've been in at least our generation, as long as we can remember. And just the handwritten notes are such a beautiful way to have us feel connected to you, to another human being. I actually don't remember any other fast food or restaurant writing something handwritten to me. Um, and makes us feel more connected to the BFF community, makes us feel like we want to stay involved and to your point, I hope more people can learn from this and and do that more and and connect. There are always ways to connect with one another. Yeah, totally. Um, well, it's definitely been a nice thing for us to continue doing, and I think we'll we'll try to keep doing that for I think as long as as possible. It's just a nice like yeah. Who gets handwritten notes anymore? Yeah, even if yeah. even if it's just like a really simple like handwritten thank you doesn't happen yeah, very much. Absolutely. So. No. Totally. Uh, so. I heard you say you have seven locations now, and I believe in four cities. So San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose, LA. Did I miss any? So we have uh, we have a couple new ones that um, one that we haven't announced yet. Yeah. So okay, we have San Francisco, San Jose, Oakland, San Mateo in the Bay Area, and then in LA we have Hollywood, uh, Lawndale, which is kind of like inland from Manhattan Beach, and then. Um, we have our newest one is in Long Beach. Um, All right. Yeah. So heard That's first year. Exciting. Yeah, we have, yeah, Go we have get your Ben's fast food bowls <laughs> and, and smoothies and desserts, guys. You won't regret it. And maybe you'll get a you'll get Ben to reply to your review on Google or wherever you write your your reviews. But yeah, that's so exciting. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. It's a good one. <laughs> hopefully it is. Hopefully it's um, I bet it. <laughs> I bet it is. Um, all right. Well, we are, we can't wait for you to expand past California. We're waiting here in Texas. Any plans for other states soon? Yeah, I'm working on my 2023 yeah. plans right now. And that you're, might... I know you're working really hard. I don't mean to put any pressure <laughs> on you. <laughs> no, it's okay. We've, we've received lots of requests for all over the country. Uh, I, I think Texas is up there. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I haven't worked on the plan yet for this next year. Uh, I've got some ideas, but got to, you know, put pen to paper and figure out what we're gonna do. But I think yeah, Texas will be. I don't know. We'll be give it a few years. Some... Yeah, it's a big state. I hear it's a big state. I hear they eat and they love food here. So I, I don't true. think it'll disappoint. Well, hopefully I have a couple of loyal customers, you know, here at least. Oh, <laughs> oh, heck yeah. We we are the presidents of the BFF fan club in Austin. How's that in Texas? So that you totally great. have your loyal fans here. That sounds this is great. great. Um, <laughs> excellent. So Ben, as we kind of wrap up for folks who like me, who don't have a BFF location close by, 
how should we think about getting healthy food in a convenient way in somewhat fast fashion? Mm. I mean, if you have, if you're fortunate enough to have a restaurant that's serving something like that, that's definitely useful. If you're doing it at home, um, yeah, I, I generally think like eating, uh, yeah, eating like Michael Pollan is fairly, yeah. is a pretty good Simple. rule of thumb. Yeah, eat food, mostly, mostly vegetables. Yeah. Um, so, not too much. Yeah, not too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but generally, like, yeah, if you eat more plants too, that is, that generally can help make your meal more affordable. I know people love meat. I also yeah. love meat. So it's hard <laughs> to get rid of that. But the more, yeah, the more vegetables and plant, based you can eat mm -hmm. generally the more healthy that'll be and uh that'll generally be like fairly affordable um so yeah that that's, is so that's true I, I recently went to tj's probably yesterday and yesterday or the day before and i got what felt like a ton of vegetables i only i paid like 18 bucks for them i had like two bags of all veggies and I came and made a smoothie, you know, to offset my, my boss's emoji. I felt good about myself for that day. And I was surprised. <laughs> I was like, nice. wow, this is great. I feel good. This is, this is good for my wallet and my belly. Uh, all right. That's and awesome. then advice for any of the, the good folks that are looking to follow in your footsteps, looking to start a restaurant. I love your story given you didn't have a background in culinary school or cooking. What, what are other tips for folks looking to get started? Mm. So keep it simple. Um, yeah, I think all, like all of the restaurants that I think have done a really good job are ones that have a really focused menu and are focused on doing oh, yeah. a few things really well. Wow. So yeah, that's how I started. I would, I am a believer in that approach. And I think that generally has worked for most restaurants that are um, you know, it's gotta be good. So you've got to spend the time to make those few things really good. But if you can do that, like, I think people generally have a little bit more trust in restaurants that have fewer things on their menu, but execute those at a really high level. So I'd say keep it simple. And Ben, what's next for you? Uh, well, immediately is lunch probably. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's nice. What are you going to have for lunch? <laughs> Uh, I actually ordered a little bit of um, meat from our uh, kitchen in San Francisco and testing okay. something new. So uh, nice. ordering it to see what the results are. Um, but I generally think I will be, uh, what's next is growing. Yeah, we're um, looking to expand, especially this upcoming year. I think we'll, we may start looking outside of California. So that's the big thing on my to-do list is to figure out Great news. where. So I have yeah. a couple of votes for, uh, for yeah, Texas, you know. which I will take into account. Yeah. <laughs> Great. I'll have the, I'll have the listeners write in as well and add, add to those votes. Uh, and also you have Clive growing, you've got lots of growth coming up ahead, lots of things to keep you stimulated and, yeah. and challenged. Yeah. Amazing. Ben, this was so much fun. I learned a ton from you as always. And thank you so much for coming on Power Hour. Yeah.